Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Rafe Offer of So Far Sounds, a global music community that connects artists and audiences through live music. What's amazing about So Far is the audience doesn't know the venue until the night before the concert, and they don't know the three artists performing. It's a true way to discover new artists and an appreciation for new art. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Rafe Offer of So Far Sounds. Rafe, thank you so much for joining me today. Cameron, absolute pleasure. Nice to meet you here. Of course. Well, I'd like to kick things off with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up, and what would you say your childhood was like? I had two distinctly different parts of my childhood. I was born on the south side of Chicago. My dad was a professor at the University of Chicago. And that's a pretty rough neighborhood. Hmm. And I would frequently be uh, attacked uh, or challenged even on the way to school. And I had to get an understanding of, uh, you know, what it was like for those far less fortunate than me in that area mm. that you know, led them to such a, a challenging existence. I also really thank it for just being a reminder to be open-minded to, to everybody. And uh, you know, myself there was, was a distinct minority. And I, I, I think I grew very quickly as a result of, of living there. Mm. Then, both my parents were mugged on the same day. Oh, wow. <laughs> one at gunpoint, one at knife point. And as much as it was great to be near my dad's work and live in an exciting area that was diverse, it was a little bit too edgy. So mm. we moved to the suburbs of Chicago, which was the exact reverse. Yeah. There, it was completely uh, awash with people who were the same. And I actually didn't like it as much. Mm. but it was certainly a more comfortable existence. And so that was the, the second part of my childhood, living in a fancy suburb. Wow. And, uh, you know, with a lot of people who had a lot of money yeah. and dealing with a different take on life. Mm. Certainly. I'm curious, uh, what did you see like a shift? And did you have, what were your interests at that time when you were living in uh, some of the deeper Chicago points and then going into the suburbs? into any sports or music at that time what, what kind of shift for yourself if anything yeah sure i would say well music was always there mm -hmm. there's a different style of music when you're living in an area like the south side which has an incredible history of blues and yeah. soul and extent jazz and then out in the suburbs it was more rock based yeah and more brit pop and things like Led Zeppelin as opposed to maybe Muddy Waters. Mm -hmm. So music was always there. It just shifted. And sports-wise, I'd say I was always interested in basketball. And then I think living in a, a suburb, tennis was much more accessible. And so those were always my two go-tos. And mm -hmm. I, I think that, yeah, you have a more sort of country club-ish feeling in the suburbs you can play sports like golf and tennis mm -hmm. whereas in the south side yeah it was it was about basketball certainly uh growing up uh did you have an entrepreneurial mindset say like lemonade stands or selling products growing up anything like that 
massively so. Yeah. We used to take holidays to Michigan and for whatever reason, the area we went to was a test market. So I would pick up products that weren't available at my school, mm -hmm. like uh, bubble gum that was really different and different flavors or thicker. And I'd bring it back and I would sell it at my school for like triple the price, you know, I, wow. you know not very nice maybe, but, uh, but it was yeah. just like, okay, this isn't available. It's more exclusive. I had to do the hard work of importing it from Michigan. <laughs> and then uh, later in life, I took a trip to the Middle East with my family and I bought a couple of uh, things there that were considered exotic and sold them in the school and yeah so i mean it was part of me from the time i was a little kid i always wanted to start something i just didn't know what it would be certainly uh going forward here i saw you ended up studying at the university of wisconsin madison uh what did you end up studying there and why did you uh, navigate towards wisconsin it was a perfect blend of not being too far from home but not being too close yeah. three hours in a car and yeah, I was quite close to my parents uh, and I didn't want to be too far away and I wanted to know I could come back and yet a different state, a different mentality. It also was a state school, still is, and so is not as expensive as some other schools. Yep. And so it was economically sensible and everyone I knew who went there loved it. So I was excited with those who were sl slightly older than me turning me on to it. And I wasn't disappointed. I studied both political science and English literature, two things that I'm still really inter interested in now, politics and literature. Certainly. And so it was, uh, for me, it was a great mix. And I was really happy in the end with that choice. Yep. Never, uh, never regretted it. Yeah, certainly. Uh Kind of at this point in your journey, what were some of your aspirations? Uh, I, I saw some of your resume and your career journey. Um, at this point, though, starting out school at Wisconsin, what, what were you envisioning? Uh, what were some of the aspirations going through your head? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have used this word when I was in college, but I loved building community. Yeah. Now, now I'm assessing it. And so I started a fraternity. I was really frustrated with all the fraternities. I thought they were, you know, well, watch, watch a movie and it, it was kind of like crazy Animal House, like yeah. feeling. And I didn't like all the rules and all the hazing. So myself and a, a number of others, you know, started one. And so we could create our own rules. So what I loved mm. about it was we still had the camaraderie, the fun, the crazy nights, yeah, the sororities. And at the same time, we were able to put our own guidelines in place and craft it how we wanted to. Mm -hmm. So in a way that was like a community yeah. and well, was and we we crafted it so i always knew i wanted to do something where others were somehow connected by a thing they loved certainly and then, yeah so that was my thing i also kind of was thinking about politics probably not as a politician but behind the scenes because i always thought that hey the person who you elect that makes a real difference in your life definitely and that's part of the reason i i studied that just to understand a bit more about that is a possible career choice. Certainly. I saw uh, immediately following Wisconsin then, you ended up uh, continuing your education, uh, going to Northwestern, kind of in the marketing realm. What directed this shift? What directed you to go directly into your master's degree um, going forward to Northwestern? Great question. I mean, I loved school. And yeah. 
I wasn't ready to enter the quote unquote real world. Yeah. Northwestern. I was just down the street, you know, from where I, I grew up, a great school. And I just I just felt that marketing would be something that could help me in anything I went into, you know, because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do yet. And as I mentioned, I wanted to build communities and do something and start a business. Hmm. I figured marketing is a found fundamental skill could yeah. be applied anywhere. Certainly. And, and Northwestern had and has a great reputation for helping in that area. It's a beautiful location to be a bit closer to where I grew up. So all those combined think that it was the right next step and so right, right out of school, which was unusual. Yeah. But yeah, certainly it made sense. Keep going. Certainly. So I saw once you uh, completed your degree there, you have a, an amazing and interesting resume kind of in that marketing field with some major corporations like Disney, Coca-Cola. I'm curious, um, what, what, were, what were those kind of career moves like for you, especially uh, some of the you, director of marketing? I, you meet some major milestones at these companies. What, what were those points like for you and uh, what led you to go to Coca-Cola and Disney? What attracted you to those? Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to keep learning. I still do. And I always wanted to push myself to try something a bit different that was a bit challenging. And right out of school, out of Northwestern, I was in New York working in advertising. Yeah. And in advertising, you're helping others, you're helping sell products, but I didn't find it fulfilling. I wanted to be on the other side where I was part of a company that was making the thing, yeah, making the stuff happen. And equally, I wanted to use what I learned in, in marketing. Mm -hmm. And so I fell in love with Disney. I mean, most people do. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up, going to Disney World, Disneyland. And I just thought, hey, if I'm going to start somewhere, I'm going to start some with a product that I love. Mm. And so that, that was the appeal. And it still is now is an advice for anybody who's embarking on a career, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're someone looking to work for a company for a while, doing something you at least like, yeah, even better if you love it. Uh, you know, it's obvious advice, but many people don't take that advice. Yeah. They seek other things. And so the attraction of Disney was, I want to do something that I can get excited about that actually does make some people happy. Mm. And that was enough. Yeah. Churned out, it's a very, very difficult place to work. Mm. There's a lot of politics. I know I, I worked there many years ago, but I hear that it's still kind of like that. Yeah. And so it was a balance between the magic of the product and the challenge of the environment. Mm. And also I wanted to learn new stuff. I learned a, a lot from Disney, no question. Yeah. But I wanted to learn a company that was very different. Coke is like the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's been a long time since I worked there, but it's much more data-based, it's much mm. more uh, formal, and much more uh, le led by uh, decisions going into a, a long and, and detailed spreadsheet to mm. make decisions, whereas Disney was much more, hey, let's do this, let's try it, go for it. Yeah. And so for me in building sort of my own knowledge base, I wanted some an environment that was very different. Mm. So that the whole sum of its parts could be something where as a future entrepreneur, because I was sure I would do that, yeah. I would have learned different things. 
Certainly. I think, yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Two different dynamics, service going into switching into the consumer packaged goods industry. That's fascinating move. I'm curious, kind of in 2009, when so far evolves, you, you're taking kind of some of that entertainment service business and bringing that to so far. What, what was the inspiration behind bringing intimacy to the listeners out there also kind of explain so far as a more of an intimate concert setting? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I may talk about Disney later, but just yeah. to connect, Disney is obsessive over the quality of the experience for yeah. anybody who's ever been. And I always thought that if you took the Disney lens on any event, what would they do better? Mm. And what's wrong with live events, live music? And being such a fan, I've, I've always gone to concerts since I was a kid. I mentioned earlier, just growing up, steeped in it in Chicago. But um, having no talent, I could focus my efforts on being a fan. Yeah. And I just would go to events and think, what's wrong with this? How would Disney do it better? How would I do it better? Mm. And the first thing was the talking. And there was actually an event I went to in 2009 with a couple of friends. Mm. And at this event, it just blew me away that I had paid money, other people had paid money, and yet there was so much talking going on. And not about the band or singing along, it was gratuitous on the side about other stuff. Yeah. And then the second thing is the bar was open and there was loud noises coming from the bar and people talking and ordering, and you know, those clanging sounds that beer bottles make and on and on and on. Mm. And so the intimacy was born by thinking, this is not okay. This isn't a really great way to enjoy music. And if I bring people together in a smaller group, let's say under a hundred, mm -hmm. it's more likely people are not going to talk that they're going to focus. And especially if it's more acoustic based, which we aren't always, but we were always at the beginning, yeah. you know, you'll lean in and yeah. it almost becomes a bit of a meditation. And then we instructed the MC, if it was me or I would do it or somebody else just to say, Hey guys, why don't you just put your phone down and just focus and enjoy it. And so that was what allowed me to create something that was about that intimacy. Mm. It was really about a better music experience. Yeah. Not one that would place loud and crazy, you know, gigs and dancing and festivals, but just something that was different. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious when you, uh, you had this launch plan for uh, So Far Sounds, how did this eventually roll out? How did you get your first group of people, the first band? What did that first show look like? Was it locally in your own, your own town? How was that? Yeah, well, fortunately, one of the three people who started So Far, who's no longer involved, he did other things after about a year, but at the time he was a musician named David, David Alexander, mm -hmm. and he, he was our musician. So wow. it was really easy. Was, we, we just you know, had Dave play and we did the fir those first gigs. We rotated between our houses, Dave's house, my house. Wow. The third whose name is Rocky at Rocky's house. So that made it easier. We had a venue, mm. but after three gigs, we didn't, <laughs> we wanted to move around. And so it was really hard. Yeah. And basically I, I or Dave would have to get up and say, anyone else want to do this? Fortunately, people had so much fun that they would raise their hand and we get a couple hand raised of people who would consider having people because for the first year, actually more than that, years, plural, it was always at someone's house. So we had the musician, but then to get another musician and to get a few more, 
that was challenging. And again, we relied on Dave's network and my network. Mm. We thought really early on, let's not announce who's playing as a way to get people to come with an open mind. Yeah. You know, like if you go to a gig, you know who's playing. And so it gets fans of that musician. We're like, no, we won't do that. So that musician will surprise people. And if people like that musician, they'll mm. get some new fans. Wow. That was, that was the thinking there. And so that was breaking a rule, as was not announcing where it was going to be and doing yeah. it in a house every time. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, it was just friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends. Wow. And then it would come. And fortunately, people liked it and they shared it and spread the word. By the fourth gig, there were so many people. There was a line like down the street and around the corner. Yeah. They were like, ah. We can't give the address out anymore. It's going to be a real surprise because people like coming. Yeah. So that's how we grew. And we also grew by having great musicians and mm. being very picky, even from the beginning yeah. with the next artists who came. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Uh, I'm curious then, uh, how did that eventually roll out from there when you started doing the kind of more exclusive secret locations? And then I know you provided, did you provide it at a later date? How did that structure look like uh, kind of for that surprise effect for attendees? Yeah, well, as we left London, so we're still in London, it's a flagship, but as we left London, mm -hmm. we would find our friends who were in other cities uh. and we would say, hey, you know, are you interested in this? This is what it's about. Or they attended one in London. And they're like, this is great, but it doesn't exist in L.A. Yeah. It doesn't exist in Paris. So I'm like, great. If you like it, do it. It's a hobby. It was a hobby for the first five years. And so we just gave them the playbook, which was really simple. Pick somebody great. Probably get three artists because that's a good number. Mm -hmm. Obsess over it. Keep it small and intimate. Let people sit on the floor. There were all these sort of simple rules. Yeah. Make the people are respectful and not gabbing away. Mm -hmm. And so it became, without having money exchanged, it became a bit of a licensing thing mm. where they just had the playbook. And we were in two cities all of a sudden, three, then 10, then 20. Wow. And it spread. It was like a, a real life mm. viral spread. That was what's so crazy about it. Yeah. And, you know, three, four years in, we were in dozens and then soon hundreds of cities. Wow. It's incredible. I'm curious, uh, from the artist POV then, I know in the early days you, you, you vetted personally. What did that, what does that vetting process look like from launch and then transforming it today? You get a much larger scale. What do you look for in an artist, uh, to join so far sounds? What's kind of the criteria? This is a really simple yet difficult question because it's yeah. all about my taste and your taste. Yeah. And I would never be so presumptuous to say my taste is better than yours. It's just different. And we struggled with that. So in the early days, we realized that no one should choose by themselves mm. because of that fact. And so for many, many years, we had teams of between three and 10 people voting. And the whole thing was if it's unanimous or near unanimous, it's probably okay. Yeah. And so that's all we all we cared about and the criteria was would i be excited to hear this person in an intimate place probably strip back mm. you know if it's a band with eight people super loud 
it might be acoustic or it might be just somewhere in between. Yeah. Would I be really excited about it? That was number one. Number two, you know, are the songs pretty good? And yeah. are they singing on tune? You know, that that's probably a pretty good thing. And then if we have three artists, is it a diverse lineup? And that's really important mm. to us now. And it was really important to us then. Certainly. So diverse in every way, diverse in who they are, in, in uh, genre, in gender, in mm. background, in everything. Yeah. And we felt that that make it, made it kind of cool. And then we kept the sets at about 20 minutes long. So if you hated it and you were in the audience, eh, 20 minutes later, you can put up with that and there'll be something else. Yeah. We just didn't want you to think they have no talent. I'd rather you think, ooh, I don't really like that kind of music, but they're, they're quite talented and there's going to be something else around the bend. Yeah. Amazing. So then the final piece of your question is we have people stationed in all these cities. Mm. We have teams. And then we have some regional directors when it's really busy, like on the East Coast yeah. or in the UK. And they're all making those local decisions on wow. the place. Incredible. Uh, kind of going into the success behind so far, I'm curious from your point of view, what would you say makes like this concept so successful? Kind of like that surprise and what keeps fans coming back over traditional concerts? Because I, I, I've been to a couple so far sound shows. I know some friends who have and they would and I would too. Like I would choose so far sound shows over traditional concerts for whatever setting I'm looking for. I'm curious from your point of view, though. Well, thank you. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate it. And so far, it was never uh, was thought of as something that could replace. It's more of a, a compliment. Yeah. And sometimes you're in the mood for one thing, and sometimes you're in the mood for another thing. I've actually struggled a bit with that because everybody has a different view on why they like it. Yeah. So I won't give you one reason. I'll give you several. So first of all, there's the social aspect. Mm -hmm. It's one of the few types of events you can feel comfortable with People tell me going alone. Yeah. And even if you're a female, young female going alone, there's something about the warmth of an intimate space, often in a familiar neighborhood or familiar kind of space like a house or an art gallery, like I'm going to one later tonight. Awesome. In a gallery that makes people feel comfortable. And then also everybody hosting it, whether it's the MC, the owner of the space, or our team, is there to make you feel like you're walking into somebody's personal space mm. so there's a there's a feeling of of it's okay to be here nobody's pretentious no one's looking down their nose at you mm -hmm. you're not going to be stuck in the corner nursing a beer and feeling awkward and as a result people meet people they make friends yeah they uh they come single and and leave with a phone number <laughs> uh you know, my favorite stats are that more than 60 people have met people and end up getting married. Wow. Wow. It's just nuts. And those are the ones I know about. <laughs> so there's, there's something about a community that shapes itself on the floor. And by the end of the night, you might leave with a few new friends. Wow. Next, as I said earlier, you're really obsessive about who plays. And while we don't pick people who we think are going to become famous, that's not our criteria or we don't and we don't be people who have huge followings on social media yeah what we find is because we pick based on talent in our opinion that you know sometimes we get it right and we've had i think the number is near if not over a hundred 
who've gone on to be nominated or even won Grammys. Wow. And, and so that's a crazy stat for me. And whether they you know, get that sort of accolade, we do know that there's a lot of talent. We do know that if you go, you will hear hopefully one act of the three, it's usually three now, that you're like, whoa, you know, that was insane. I'm yeah. lucky to have heard Billie Eilish, who played her first ever concert so far, wow. or Leon Bridges, who played an early gig of his in Dallas, uh, or on and on and on and wow. on. There's so many cool examples. So the talent would be the next thing that people talk about. And then there's the space itself. So sometimes mm -hmm. it is in a quirky place. Yeah. We did it on the top of a ski jump once in Oslo. Wow. Uh, we did it in crazy church basements in lower Manhattan. We've done it in uh, uh, tenements that are really funky. We've done it in millionaires houses that are stunning with penthouse views of whatever city you're in. Wow. It's all, and you don't, you don't know where you're going. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. That's amazing. Well, I kind of want to go here to the future of so far sounds. I mean, the trajectory and kind of the expansion taking place is incredible. What do you see in the future of both like offerings, locations, anything you can provide on what you, you kind of see so far going towards? I answered that with two hats on. The first is the hat of the artist and the second is the hat of the fan. Yeah. So for the artists, we want to be a bit more data led as we look at how SoFar can help their careers. Mm -hmm. We always pay them and I'm told it's a good amount of money for what they're asked to do which is literally just show up and yeah. you don't have to go out and market. And most of the gigs on the planet, you have to, you have to go and tell all your friends and your family, please, please come. And here's where it is. And you advertise it on all your social media platforms. And sometimes if you don't hit a threshold of people, you have to pay for the space. Mm. Sometimes you have to pay for the space anyway, all these things. And with so far, no, you get your money, you just show up and you get new fans. Yeah because they don't know who's playing in most of our events. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool, but what's the next level on that? And for us, it's helping those artists tour, which they're already doing a bit of, but how do we keep ratcheting that up? Yeah. And how do we sense that one day an artist in Texas could aspire to playing a hundred events with us all around the US mm -hmm. or all around the world? And we'll know that with each event they'll pick up a few more fans on whatever their favorite platform is they may yeah. sell some merch which they're allowed to do whenever they want and pocket 100 percent of those sales mm. and on and on and that's the way we do it at the moment and yeah. on and on and on so that we can help them use the data and use the money and the platform to become sustainable mm. so dream for artists is that we can help hundreds of thousands of artists become or aspire to become sustainable in doing what they love. Mm. I'm not here to get artists rich. I'm not here to make, you know, the next Taylor Swift and the Ed Sheeran. Yeah. We're here to help along that journey. And we're here to bring in more tools beyond just the actual event yeah. so that they feel that we're there along the ride. And maybe we're not there when they're playing a stadium, but we're certainly helping them along that ride yeah. and maybe we're doing more things to help them along that journey. Mm -hmm. uh, a huge part of it is playing. A huge part of it is playing in lots of cities since we're in so many hundreds of cities 
Yeah. And now an increasing part of it is helping them digitally and helping them with other types of uh, services. Mm -hmm. Then on the other hand, you've got the fans. So I'd like you or I to be able to show up in any city yeah. and feel like it's a fun night out. It's a way to meet somebody. It's a way to see Stockholm, fill mm -hmm. in the blank. That is part of your mix of getting to know your city yeah. or any other city. So if you ratchet that up, we're sort of a bit of a travel company yeah. that is connected to music Certainly. for the artist or the fan. Amazing. Well, I'd like to wrap up each episode with this. If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, uh, what would you say that would be? Build a great culture. Mm. And culture for me is how we treat each other internally. Mm. Make sure that you're clear on what's okay, what's not okay. Some people call them values, what the values of the company mm -hmm. are. Set them, stick to them. And if you get to a point where you brought people in, if you get to a point where you brought people into the company who aren't living the values, mm -hmm. then be sure to have a chat with them about, hey, it's not okay how you're handling this. It's not okay how you're treating somebody. Yeah. And if it just doesn't work out, well, then you got to show them the door. And anyone who's led people has struggled with this. It's very hard. I've certainly made lots of mistakes in bringing the wrong people in or waiting too long to tell people it's not going to work out. Mm. But ultimately, if you have that in mind and you treat people with respect and give them a clear guideline as to how we how we do things around here, yeah. then you have a much better chance of having it be a great company to work mm. at for. And, at, and if it's a great company to work at, you know what? It's more than likely you're going to put out a great product mm. and it's more than likely you're going to attract other great people and you're going to build a good brand image and create value if you have investors mm. and also it's just going to feel good to go to work every day. Certainly. Well, yeah, Rafe, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out a SoFar Sound show at a city near you at SoFarSounds.com. Awesome. Thanks for the plug. And I hope to see anyone who's listening to this or meet you. If you've heard it here, let me know at one of these events. I go to them all the time. And I uh, hope to see you, Cameron, uh, awesome. whenever we're in the same city. Certainly. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.